welcome again. This is Lowell Waita, host of the show, Your Money and Your Mindset. How are you folks on this fine Monday afternoon? Now, we're just going to go straight into it. As you know, this show is about mindset and its effect on your ability to create lots of cash, have good, wholesome, rich personal relationships, and as well as good health. Because when you think about it, it's no use being a multimillionaire and you are stuck in an iron lung, is it now, folks? Uh, as you know, we need a lot of high-quality energy to create this world because, um, let's face it, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. What we're doing is a process. So you have to have robust, good health and a lot of high-quality en energy to do this. And the Christmas holidays have just come and gone, and I'm sure people are starting to get back into being um, at work and getting their heads around the idea of how I'm going to live out my life for this 2012 and also plotting out their path to reaching their goals. So, now before we go on there, I'd like to say a big shout out to the people on Stick'em, Blog TV, Real Coaching Radio TV Network, Receiver Internet Radio, Radio Ritku. And a new member at Shoutcast. Hey, for all the people with smartphones, hello. Uh, new media and uh, radio and TV as our syndication channels. So now, back to the subject of health. So it's no point having a lot of money if you're in a bad way physically, yeah? And you're not going to generate that sort of um, ability to make cash if you're not healthy. So to this end, I've invited an expert along today, as you can see him there. And he, is, he knows all about staying healthy. And uh, in our environment, face it or not, we live in a, a fairly polluted environment, and how we can keep ourselves healthy. This is Dr. Stephen Hardy. Welcome. Hello. And we'll just tell you a little bit about Stephen. He's born and raised in Adelaide, South Australia, and he's got a PhD in uh, biochemistry and immunology. Now, immunology is a, is a, a tremendous field. Uh, where we learn about our immune system and how our immune system interacts with our environment and its effect on our health and not just our physical health but also our mental health and vice versa, how our mental health can affect our immune system. Mm, interesting. So his um, PhD was on looking at how cells became cancerous and how the immune system keeps us healthy and fights off those nasty bugs. Now, Stephen's different in the sense that he's looking at the, um, the future of health and medicine as not finding cures per se, but preventing diseases from occurring. So isn't that better? Prevention is better than cure, yeah? And so, and he believes too, and I, I believe as well, that you cannot live a healthy life in an unhealthy or polluted world. Now, Stephen's an expert and he's published and lectured internationally on health, preventative medicine, cancer, environmental issues, ecosystem management, um, getting out the field here, endangered species and sustainable lifestyles and agriculture. They're all linked, okay? You can't look at one in isolation. We might talk about that later, but primarily we want to talk about health here. So with uh, his partner, his business partner, Professor Alf Poulos, who's not here today, uh, Dr. Stephen Hardy is the co-founder of Promoting Good Health. So welcome, Mr. Stephen Hardy. How are you going? Hello. So... We know what you do, and that you're passionate about this. It's almost an evangelical. I like that. But how did Stephen Hardy get here? Well, I went to university because I wanted to cure cancer. And mm -hmm. as I was doing my research, looking into early cancer, I realized that 
I was working at the wrong end of the stick, because by the time that the cancer developed, what I was working on, you couldn't really go back and do use that information in the clinic. The only way I could come up with something is if I went backwards in time with a drug, which of course isn't going to work. So that's when I started to change my thinking, because also about that time with the papers I was reading, 80% of cancers are preventable. So why on earth come up with a cure for a disease you can prevent? So that's when I went back and looked at how does cancer get started in the first place? What's going on? How can you manage that process? What can you do to stop it from occurring? Now, only 5-10% to of cancers are genetic. Really? 35% are dietary related and 65% are attitude and lifestyle factors. So you're in control of about 80% of cancers. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's hear that again. Could you, could you repeat that for, for, for the audience members, what you just said in terms of um, our ability to not get sick? So how, what was the percentage again? Well, 35% of cancers are dietary related. 65% are attitude and lifestyle factors. Oh, that's a big So hit. out of those, out of that whole the cancer you can prevent, you can go, go for 90% of it. Wow. Under your control. So what am I doing in the laboratory? I've got to get out of the laboratory to get out into the world and say, well, this is the way that living systems work. This is the way that you know, nature works. If you understand this, then you can make lifestyle choices and come up with ways of, of living a healthy life. Okay, that's, that's, that's fairly profound. I mean, um, I'll just let that sink in for a little bit for some, for some people because um, we are bombarded with messages about, well, finding cures for diseases more than anything else, right? And, and I wholeheartedly endorse that because we do need to find out how, how we can sort of um, treat people who've really got the disease. But you're saying that with a bit of knowledge, with a bit of self-awareness, we can live extremely healthy, robust, energetic lives. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> right. So can you elaborate on that? Which aspect? Uh, the, 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 fact, the fact that 80-odd you, percent, um, we, we make a decision about staying healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not the genetically predisposed stuff. But yeah, just can, can you just elaborate? Well, we can on get that? to the genetic stuff later on because you know, everyone's racing towards this genes, genes, genes determine everything. So let's yep. leave that yep. For, yep. for a bit because that's something I really would like to cover. Yeah. Okay. So just just go on to that um, the eighty percent where um, okay. The, the for me the obvious one is if somebody was a smoker, the chances of getting lung cancer and cardiovascular related. Well, I'll tell you that there's only one thing that's safe to smoke: salmon. Um, that was a joke, by the way, folks. It was a joke, okay? Yeah, difficult to roll. <laughs> difficult to roll. But now let us talk about that, because if somebody was a smoker, uh, y- y- you know, your chances of getting lung cancer and cardiovascular disease and other associated diseases are very high. So just take us through that in terms of the... So that's, that's what I'd call a lifestyle choice. You've made a lifestyle choice to be a smoker or be a non-smoker. Right. And the consequences of that lifestyle choice are a higher incidence of cancer. So really, one of the most fundamental things you can do is look at the way you live your life and just don't do silly things. Haha, but then you see, people will say that's easier said than done, don't do easier things. Um, because my understanding, I'm going to play the devil's advocate now, folks, and uh, you know that nicotine is actually a highly addictive kind of drug and it affects your, your, your nervous system, especially in your brain, the pleasure centers in your brain, yeah? So, um, how do you, as much as, as you say, yeah, okay, throw away the cigarettes, how do you help somebody who's 
you know, a pack a day smoker then. Okay, well, the first, first step is obviously they've got to want to do something about it. If someone doesn't want to change or doesn't want to alter the way they're living their life, there's not much you can do. Mm. Um, so if, they, if they've made the decision, okay, I want to live a healthy life, I want to have a better quality of life, I want to be there for my family and so on, then the next thing you can do is, okay, what, what sort of life do you want to have? And get them to describe the life they want to have. And then say, okay, well, if that's where you want to be, how do we take steps so that every single day you're moving towards that goal? Okay, right. What can you do? What are the first things you can do? How can you substitute, for example, things that cigarettes are giving you a high, or whatever it is your drug of choice is, if anyone's yep. got a lovely phrase on that, we can talk about that later. Um, what is it that you do, what habits do you fall back into when you're feeling stressed or tired or you know, overwhelmed? What are the things you do? What are the habitual habits you fall into? Can, how can you change those habits that might be self-destructive or not towards the health of a wellness lifestyle? How can you substitute those habits for good ones, which will get you towards where you want to go? Okay. So here is where um, would you advocate that that, that person... Well, most people, when they're stuck in that position, don't realize that they're under that amount of stress. They take it as, you know, this is the way life is. Uh, I'll just go out and have another cigarette or reach for another cup of coffee or, you know, another candy bar down my face kind of thing so I can keep on working uh, to do what I want to do. So how, how, how do you get that person out of that, you know, being in the forest, can't see the forest from the trees, and to take a step back to look at the lifestyle choices you're talking about? Because they're so busy doing what you're doing. Okay. The one that I, that I use a lot with some people is um, where do you want to be? So get them to, to, to build the picture of their future. Mm -hmm. So with the picture of their future, then they can say, well, okay, well, is what I'm doing compatible with that picture of the future that I want to have? And then they can look at it and say, well, hang on, this, is, this doesn't fit. If that's the world I'm moving towards, or that's what I want for my life, this bit just doesn't, it doesn't have a place in that world. So if it doesn't have a place in that world, why am I doing it now? So what can I do that will have a place in that world? So the world you're creating is made up of thousands of little bits, little components. Yep. So by removing the bits you don't want and substituting things back you do, then you eventually are going to build the world you want out of the thousands of little bricks that you take, that you're doing every single day. So that might be, for example, um, getting off the chemical quick fix, go, going to eat organic, starting to eat a biodynamic, uh, eating uh, more natural foods, foods that are in season, things that haven't been stored in green in uh, uh, warehouses or uh, cold stores or in tins or whatever for months. So they're still fresh and, and vibrant foods. Just small things that, that um, compound every day and build one on top of the other. Okay, now that for, for some people out there it's a big leap because if you've grown up in an environment where your diet consists of going down the street and grabbing a hamburger and, get, and getting a uh, you know, soda pop or a soft drink and then finishing off with a, you know, a Mars bar, that is going to be quite a, 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 a leap in terms of this is what my taste buds are used to and this is where I, I want to be. But also, what you have, in a sense, said but not said, is the fact that um, people have a clear goal or a clear vision of where they, they, they want to be in, in their lives. So do you take your clients to that stage and say, um, okay, so you, wanna, you, you want to be you know, vibrantly healthy, 
why do you want to be healthy? And the answer is because then I have the energy to do the work I want to do to become financially wealthy. That's okay, it. that's what we're looking that's at. That's one right? yeah. You may even have, some people just may not know where they want to be in life. You can so there's two things you can do. You can either move away from pain and move towards pleasure. True. So to begin with, it may be, I'll just move away from pain until I know what pleasure I want to move towards. So it depends on where you are at the time. And what, what's, what's your personal state at, at that time? If it's someone who doesn't know where they want to be, but they know they can't keep on going down that path, yep. then, well, okay, well, let's just get you off that path and we'll work out which path you want to be on later. So it's a, it's a, it's a continuum. It depends on where you are in the process. Okay. So, by the way, folks, that, that requires some degree of self-awareness, you know, because most of us do things uh, out of sheer habit. It's like the first thing some people do when they wake up in the morning is to grab a cup of coffee or some of them might be to look for their packet of cigarettes before even your brain switches on. So um, you're saying that you need to step or take a step back from yourself even in that sense to, to, to observe what you're doing and is that being a, a healthy lifestyle choice, is that right? Well, that has to be the first lifestyle choice, the first decision. You've got to be very aware of who you are and where you're going and, and what your habits are. So you have to have a sense of what you do on a daily basis, where that fits into your life, what is, what are the consequences of that, that sort of behaviour. And this comes back to the idea of prevention. And just, to, just to give some people some idea, we talked about cancer being preventable. It's the only place you can win the battle of cancer because if you leave it to the doctors and say, OK, well, if the doctors know all this stuff, why can't I leave it to them and they'll, they'll fix me when I have a problem? Well, it doesn't quite work that way because by the time the doctors know that cancer's been there or cancer's there, Two to nine years have passed. So it's like saying, okay, it's an 800 metre race. We've just given the opposition 780 metres head start in the race. And we're going to, allow, and, and we're going to get someone else, i.e. the doctors, to, to run the race for us. So you, 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 the whole thing is too late. You've given the opposition a real big head start, and then you're asking someone else to do your job, which is to stay healthy. So you have to pull it back and say, okay, well, how do I stop that? enemy from getting that 780 meter head start. Cardiovascular disease, the most, most time, and that cancer, cardiovascular disease, two big killers. Cardiovascular disease, the first time most people realize they've got cardiovascular disease is when they have their first heart attack. Now 50% of people die from their first heart attack. Mm. So yeah. it's okay, well I'll just wait until I have a problem. Well you may never get a second chance. So it's a completely different mindset that waiting to, to see the problem may be too late, the damage may be too great. It's like an iceberg. Most of the mass is beneath the surface. You get sick slowly from the bottom up and it only becomes a problem and you only see the symptoms when it gets above the sea level. Yeah. So you've got to get, by the time you've, you're sort of the last 10% of the iceberg which is a bit sticking above the water, when you're starting to feel the symptoms or be affected by the symptoms, there's all that damage that's been done under the water. Oh, folks, does that sort of kind of scare you? Good. Uh, now, you realize this is a live show and it's interactive, and so I'm just going to say hello again to, to people on Stick and Blog TV, Real Coaching Radio Network, Receive Internet Radio, Radio Roku, and Shoutcast, our new friends, on your smartphones and new media radio and TV, okay? So please, if you've got questions or you've got a comment even that you'd like to direct to our guest today, Dr. Stephen Hardy, uh, who obviously knows what he's talking about um, because he's frightening me too, that in fact, a lot of this in terms of staying healthy, and, and we're just going to use the most extreme cases of um, cardiovascular disease and cancer, right? They're the biggest killers in the Western world. That's, that's the truth. That's a fact. That 
uh, just to, to recap, what Stephen said is that in fact, 80% um, of this is preventable. So I want to ask you a question now. You also deal with a lot of business people, businessmen and women, okay? And in terms of mindset and money, which is what this show is about, have you noticed that people who are on the ball with it, successful in what they do, have got a very different attitude towards their health in terms of their lifestyle choices than the ones who sort of um, whinge about how everything's not working or their businesses aren't running well or, you know, they're perpetually coming in with a sniffle or a cold or a cough. Well, the interesting thing that um, I've noticed is there seems to be a, it's definitely a different mindset. <clears throat> and I like that. The best ones have have a, a very good balanced view of the world. They look after their mental health, their emotional, spiritual health, their physical health, their, they look after their environment and, and look for that. You know, people talk about the work-life balance, but I'm, I'm not comfortable to some degree with that because work is what you do, it's not who you are. Yes, yes, I do. However, yeah. if you can make the switch from motivation to inspiration, you can motivate someone with fear, you can threaten them to lose, the, you know, they'll lose your job if you don't do what I tell you. But if you get them inspired about what they're doing, you can't stop them doing it. So if you can make the switch from motivation to inspiration, so what, what, you, what you are is, or what you do is who you are, mm -hmm. then you bounce out of bed, you're ready and vibrant to hit the day and, and, and want to make a difference, want to get out there and do what it is that you know, your life's passion is all about. And one of the things I've noticed with, with really successful people is they seem to have, in terms of their health, they seem to have a handle on three things. It's they how well they feel in control of their life. If they don't feel they're in control, they generally feel like a, a cork on the ocean. If they, if they feel they're in control of their life or in charge of their life, um, the quality of the friendships around them and the human relationships around them, the better the quality of family relationships, the better the quality of the friends they have, um, the more they're able to cope or the better they seem to operate. And the last one is the ability to adapt to change. They seem to be the three key indicators as to whether someone's going to have a good health outcome or not. Okay, and be successful in what they do. So, okay, I just want to have a little shout out to the people on Blog TV. You're watching this. Thank you very much. And if you've got questions that you want to um, send into the chat room, please do. Uh, because Stephen's here for, for the next um, 40 minutes and we want to wanna ask him as much as possible about how these factors affect uh, somebody's ability to generate wealth. And we're talking about their, their healthy lifestyle choices. Now, you also said that um, the ability to adapt to change. For some people, change can be scary, okay? Um, most people won't say it's scary, they'll, they'll give you a, a, a multitude of reasons, you know, and they're just rationalizations. And it's, it's not being judgmental here, but it's the way we uh, cope with, with things when things become different or we are fearful of things becoming different. So when you say these people who are successful, one of the aspects is the fact that they, they know how to take it in their stride. What specifically do they do? Can't put a, a, an absolute say. Oh, this is what they do because everyone, everyone's got a different strategy. All right. Um, some some of the strategies that you've noticed um, successful people have. You know, if let's say uh, a scenario is that they suddenly get a tax bill that they weren't expecting. Yeah. How's that? 
Mm. Most people will go and cry. Right, listen, after they do that, yes. <laughs> Get creative, I think, is probably the, the, the one that would be um, the best one. Is, is don't look at, look at problems, look at opportunities. You know, how can I take this disadvantage and turn it around to an advantage? What can you do to, to find an opportunity in, in a setback? Um, have friends around you that hold you to, to standards that you set for yourself or that they um, draw you to. So that's where coaches and mentors and, and, and uh, people like that are, are really good things to have around because you've always got someone there who's holding you to a higher level coming from jump that bar and you know, just raise that and, yeah, yeah. and keep you to that standard. Yeah. It's almost like having a, um, uh, I guess, a, a, a personal trainer, isn't it? You're just like, you're, you're doing personal training on your mental aspect rather than just physical way, where they say, you know, uh, you have to turn up at the gym, bring your backside into the gym at six o'clock in the morning and you're going to pop you on a treadmill for an hour kind of thing. So mentally, you're saying that you... Well, not just mentally, it's emotionally, yeah, spiritually, spiritually as, well. as well. All those areas need to be addressing. Yeah. I, I look at health as a tripod. You've got three legs, and in the tripod, you've got to have all three legs stable. So you've got the mental, emotional, spiritual is one leg, the physical is the other, and the environmental is the third. So if you can put as much effort into all those three, you're fine. Okay. So that's, that's, that's something you notice with uh, the difference, anyway, between people who are successful and, and not successful, uh, in a sense that they also have... They're very aware of their level of physical health, yeah? Mm-hmm. Right. So I've got a question for you now. And their mental health, emotional and, health, and, and, and the environment in which they're working or living. Right. So the question for you is that you, your background's in immunology, and um, I understand that immunology is a, can be fairly complex if you get into the science of it. So how do you convey to the layman, um, as in your clients, that that aspect has to be, um, I guess, looked after and told in such a way that the client appreciates it and the client will then take action to vary their lifestyle. Let's say if they've been shoving junk food down your faces and then you're saying, look, you're not going to be working at the optimum level because it's just a lot of sugar, a lot of a trans fats you're eating, yeah? Well, it's, you know, garbage in, garbage out. You know, yeah. We're, an en- we're a, <clears throat> a biological engine that requires fuel. Now, Formula One cars not run very well on poor quality fuel. We're the same. We're a biological Formula One car. Do you want absolute performance? So that means good quality food, no chemicals, get, get, get off the chemical quick fix, get off the fast food, get off the refined sugar, and all the, all the sort of fundamentals that everyone knows about eating well and so on or eating widely. Unfortunately, we don't all do it. But there's getting back to the immune system one. Depending on which whose line of logic you want to believe, some people argue that over 90% of all the diseases we're likely to come in contact with during our life either have a faulty immune system in the pro- in the disease process, or are a consequence, or the immune system is involved some way in the disease process. So, if you look at, for example, cancer and cardiovascular disease, cancer, mm. it's an immune problem. Because one of the jobs of the immune system is to monitor for and detect early cancers because everyone has cancer right from the day we're born. And the reason we don't all die of cancer is because our immune system is monitored for and protect us for any early cancers that are developed. Do you so hear the, that? Can you, can you say that again, Stephen? So for people who sort of like miss that bit, uh, I want them to grasp that, that concept that in fact we, 
we were born with reasonably robust immune systems that have been doing housekeeping, yeah? That's exactly it. The immune system's job is to housekeep. And one of the parts of the housekeeping it does is protect us from cancers, which are cells in our own body that go rogue or get off the rails, stop listening to the command and control signals that are coming from mm. all around the body. So that's one of the jobs of the immune system. Second job of the immune system, cardiovascular disease, which scientists now believe, is not a plumbing problem. It's an infection. The uh, research that come, or the research that was first came out showed that cardiovascular disease was an infection against four common viruses and two bacteria that got into the arterial wall and the plaques and, and cholesterol and all that was a consequence of the immune system never clearing those microorganisms and viruses. So if you want to keep yourself at the top of the game and, immune, and avoid the two biggest killers, cancer and cardiovascular disease, keep your immune system at the top of the game. Now, I've got some figures here because I didn't want to get it wrong. Just to give you an example, autoimmune diseases, all the diseases that we're seeing to be seeing now are um, lifestyle diseases. Obesity, diabetes, which incidentally will bankrupt the healthcare system in the next 10 years. Oops. But autoimmune diseases. If you looked at the Autoimmune Related Diseases Association website, the American Autoimmune Related Diseases Association website, in 2004 there were 59 recognised autoimmune conditions on the website. In 2010 it was 151. Wow. So people are now realising how much the immune system is involved in a lot of diseases that we see. Wow. So, okay, you people there in our Stickerman Blog TV and everybody else out there, if you want to ask Stephen some questions about this particular aspect, please do type in your, your, your questions, okay? I've got a question about the immune system, and it's like a chicken and egg thing, mm -hmm. because I believe that our state of mental health uh, has a lot to do in terms of influencing the level of our immune system. Yes or no? Absolutely, there's, there's no question about that now. The, uh, there is so much evidence to show that if somebody has a real trauma in their life, you know, marriage breakup or stress of a child, some major stress, and they don't cope with it, this is the adapting to change bit, they don't yeah. cope with it, quite often two, three years later, later all of a sudden a, a cancer will pop up or a chronic disease will develop. And it's because when you're depressed, it's a perfect example, a perfect statement because you're depressed emotionally, but you're also depressed biochemically. You're also depressed uh, immunologically. Yeah. You're, when you're stressed, you're, you're, the competence of the immune system drops. Now, if your immune system's job is to monitor the things that go wrong, and it's not doing its job as well, then something can slip through the neck. Mm. So, and that's how long it takes. You have a couple of years, and all of a sudden you have a chronic disease come up or a cancer come up, which can be traced back to that time potentially when those people were um, stressed or depressed and basically the immune system dropped its game and let, let an enemy through. Okay. So you're absolutely right. There's no, the, the evidence of that now is overwhelming. Ooh. Now, which also means that if you raised your, I, I guess, for better phrase, your happiness levels, you can actually switch your immune system back on to be uh, at, its, at its peak, yes? Mm. It's, again, this comes back to the mental, emotional, spiritual side, but that's just as important as every other aspect of your life. Uh, now, this is relevant to people out there because I know, uh, especially in North America and Europe, that the GFC, for, for a better phrase, you know, the global financial crisis that sort of whacked everybody, came kind of unseen in 2008, is still hanging on in, in some areas in terms of uh, the economy trying to get its, its, its becoming robust again. 
So I know anecdotally that people, yeah, they lost their jobs or, or they, they're under a lot of mortgage stress and, and the like, and they're still um, grappling with getting back on their feet again. So what words of advice do you have for these people who seem to be uh, kind of mm, stuck in there at this point in time? What can they do to raise their, their, I guess, their optimism level, if you want to call it that? You know, without something sort of airy-fairy, it is to do with their, their, their level of expectation, positive expectation of happiness, correct? Mm. Yeah. What can they do then? Well, <clears throat> you are what you think most about, or, or what your predominant thoughts are. So, it's very difficult to, to take yourself out of the, Luke. The, the circumstance you're currently in. Mm. But it's one of the things that I find quite helpful for me is to almost like go and stand on the balcony and look down on the street, and your life might be the street. Yep. But because you're standing up on the balcony, you're not jostling and, and biting through the, the crowd on the street, you're up above it, and you can look down as an observer in a place of stillness at your life, and then make, make choices about where you want to go. And you can also see, you know, see um, a larger view. You can see further than you would be in the street because you're up on a higher place. So you remove yourself from that place and think about, okay, what is it? What is my goal? What is it I want to do? What is it I want to achieve? And that may just be to move away from the pain side before you can go to where, where is it I want to go? What's the, the movement to pleasure? So certainly you are what you think most about. So getting your thoughts to a point of changing, woe is me, can't do anything about yeah. it, to what can I do about this situation? How can I use this to an advantage? What strength can I gain from this experience? And yes, you know, I know whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but it does get to a point where you get a bit sick and tired of having to be bulletproof. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired, isn't yes, it? Yes, that's it. Ah. At the end of the day, you are the captain of your fate, you are the master of your soul. Yep. And you can create the opportunities or, or be open to the opportunities that, that are presented to you. And that's the critical part, to be ready to, to adapt to that change when change occurs. Okay, so that's mental preparation. But before we go there, I've got a question here. Hey, thank you very much, Twisted PC from Blog TV. This is a question for you, Dr. Hardy. Does the immune system have anything to do with autism? Some researchers believe it does. Ooh, Al, pray tell. Some people have viewed it as an autoimmune condition. Now, this is still early research. I couldn't go into specifics because I'm not, I'm not fully up on it. But certainly, there's, there's now research that suggests that um, autism does have an, an immune component to it. Well, at, at, the, at the prenatal stage? Or are you talking about the neonatal stage? I'm sorry, we're going to geek speak here. Okay. I'm not full bottle on the research onto that one, but I think it's more after birth than before. Okay. Right. Um, that's I'll, have to, I'll have to get back to you on that one of the specifics, but certainly look into that one. Um, a good website to go on is PubMed, www.pubmed.gov, I believe. It's a US website that has all the medical and scientific literature uh, available for searching. So it's got over 20 million citations to the medical and scientific literature, so it's the world's largest online database. Now the downside of it is there's no, there's no filtering, there's no editing of it, there's no summarising of it. So what you're looking at is the raw scientific publications and data. In terms of being able to find a place to go, rather than just go on the internet and trust anything you might find, mm. go to PubMed, 
look there first, and there's always breadcrumbs to the truth there, because scientists are notoriously curious and they won't leave anything alone until they've understood it. <laughs> okay, so uh, with Twisted PC, does that, does that help you? The website is PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D dot G-O-V, okay? It's an American website, and, and all credible scientific research that's peer-reviewed, okay, after they've been peer-reviewed and accepted by whichever publication journal will get put up there, okay? And you can at least have a look at the abstract of that research. Now, it is painstaking because they only deal with certain bits of research unless it is a review article, okay? So uh, I hope that helps you, Mr. PC. And if you've got any more questions, yeah, please do send them in. So hello again to Stick and Blog TV, your coaching radio network, the CBN's Net Radio, Radio Roku, Shoutcast for the smartphones and new media radio and TV as our syndication channels. Okay. Oh, right. Hey, Twisted PC, you're looking at it now. Fantastic. I like that. This is interactive. Do you like that, Stephen? Mm. Someone's getting on with game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, this, this is a question I'm going to jump back to, to where we started, and that is that um, you have a almost morbid curiosity about <laughs> what makes people tick, or specifically the, the immune system. W would you have any sort of, um, you know, personal story to tell us why, or is it just because you have too much time on your hands? <laughs> well, what people never have is too much time on their hands. Um, I guess it was the way that, the, that just my research worked. I started to look at how living systems work. That, that was my goal to cure cancer. And the more I looked, I thought, well, this is the wrong end of the game. But if I'm going to get into prevention, where do I have to go? Mm -hmm. And it started off being... Well, I want to cure this cell. I want to cure this damaged cell. Well, why is that cell going rogue? Why is it getting sick. abnormal? Why is it sick? Well, it's because the local environment around it is sick. It's getting the wrong signals. It's getting the wrong information. It's not being looked up. Well, if that local environment's wrong, that means the tissue must be wrong. That means the organ must be wrong. That means the system must be wrong. That means the organism must be wrong. The organism's living in an environment. That means the environment's wrong. So I started off wanting to cure the cell, mm. and I'm now... You know, my job's grown a bit. I've got to cure the world because I can't cure that without curing this or taking care of, taking a view of the environment. So <clears throat> people, unfortunately, are lazy and also people forget. They've got busy lives. So what is it that they're going to remember from this talk? Well, hopefully, if there's one thing you're going to do to maximise your health, mm -hmm. look after your immune system. That's all you're going to do, look after your immune system. Because if your immune system's involved potentially, some would argue, in 90% of diseases, if you look after your immune system, you're going to avoid or look after potentially 90% of the diseases you're likely to get or come across in your life. Ooh. So there's, what's the take-home message? What can you do? What's the one thing you can do to look after your health or to get the best outcome for looking after your health? That's to look after your immune system. Okay, now that's another thing I want to ask you, uh, the environment. Where... Whereas we, most people live in cities, uh, densely populated places, right? And some of the things you just can't help, like if you, if you ride the subway to work and it's the middle of winter and the person next to you is, is snotting and sneezing and coughing, you can't, you can't sort of like smother them, can you? I mean, you'd like to, but you, you, you know you're going to be, uh, and they sneeze, and you know that it, it, in the droplets of, of the sneeze is going to be viruses and bacteria, and you think, oh, you know, I'm in that sort of environment. What can I do to stay healthy when other people around me are unwell? 
And the chances of meeting more of these people are, are greater when you live in a densely populated environment, right? You're talking about the environment having a, an effect on our, our, um, our sense of wellness. So what can we do to, to prevent that from happening to us? Well, the first one is don't volunteer to be a victim. So we talked about the, the attitude, the um, keeping your mental, emotional and spiritual yeah. side strong. So have a positive mental attitude. Do look after yourself. Set schedule me time so that your batteries get recharged and get regenerated. Maybe you have a bounce and a reason for getting out of bed every morning. That's, that's crucial. Yeah. Um, again, don't volunteer to be a victim. I mean, don't go down to the, the uh, supermarket and buy all chemicals or buy foods that have been processed or prepared or grown using hormones and antibiotics and pesticides and so on, because of course they're going to get into the system. We now know that they accumulate and have problems, cause problems. So go organic, go biodynamic, get rid of the chemical quick fix. A very good little exercise is go to your, or keep a little notepad by your bed, get up in the morning and start writing down the chemicals that you come in contact with in the morning. So I get up, I wash my hands, I get in the shower, I put on, I have a shave, um, shaving cream, then a shampoo, the conditioner, the perfume, the cosmetics, the eyeliner, the, all the other things you put on. And just, just keep this list and see how long it gets towards the end of the day. Now, here's an interesting little statistic. The average man through their life absorbs 35 kilograms of chemicals. Which is about 70 pounds, by the way. Hmm. Yeah. The average woman, 120 kilograms. That's about 250 pounds. Twice their body weight. Well, four times their body weight. Mm. Of now, chemicals. Of chemicals. Now, why do they do that? Or why is it? Why is the difference so great? It's because women put more chemicals on their system or they use more chemicals. Seven kilograms of those is lipstick, which is about 15 pounds. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, go on. So all these chemicals you're being exposed to, all these chemicals you're putting on your skin, they're getting into the system. They're having an effect. And a lot of them pressure your immune system. So you're in charge of three things. You're in charge of your diet, you're in charge of your lifestyle, and you're in charge of your chemical exposure. Now, the worse your diet, the worse your immune system gets. The worse your lifestyle, the worse your immune system yep. gets. The worse, more your chemical exposure, the worse your immune system gets. That sounds really grim. I mean, what about people who... Well, it depends how you look at it. This is, this is empowerment. If you're in charge of those three things, you've, just, you've got the keys to staying healthy because you're in charge of your diet. You're in charge of your lifestyle. You're in charge of your chemical exposure. That's not depressing. That's fantastic news. Because it means you can do something about it. Ah, all right. Let's rephrase. That's confronting because, let's say, speaking for women, you some women will not leave the house without putting on makeup. Okay, and that's a fact. So you're saying just go out in your natural rawness, basically. Well, not necessarily, but just just be aware that there are alternatives. Such and as? And there, there are also consequences of uh, the decisions you make about what you yeah. do. So it's about weighing up the, okay, living a conscious life, I call it, where you look at what you do, you look at how you live your life, and you make conscious decisions based on the evidence before you or where you want to go in life. It's not just about blind faith, well, I'll, I'll use that because that celebrity uses it, I'll, I'll buy that because you know, they look, you know, they've got a nice tush and they look good in that dress sort of thing. Uh, it's about being conscious about, I want to live my life this way because I've made a conscious decision to live my life this way. Now, I just... Uh, I've just finished a blog that I'm following up with the second blog, and uh, the topic of, of the first blog was about population, about how we need to look at that. Yeah. And the follow-up is, well, what can we do? 
And there was a, a DVD that someone mentioned to me, which I've just got, called Low, uh, No Impact Man, where a chap in New York wanted to reduce his carbon footprint and get off, not produce any um, waste for a year. Mm -hmm. And he took his young child and his uh, retail-obsessed wife along on the ride with him. And yes, it caused some problems, but there were unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences was he became a better father, he became a better husband, he lost weight, he had a better quality of life. So all these things that he, would, he never would have expected from saying, oh, I want to stop you know, being a so consumerist. And he ended up with a better life at the end from doing something he thought was going to be hair, shirt and hard and horrible. So by living a conscious life, opportunities are open to you because you look with different eyes. And there's a Chinese proverb, a lovely one, called what you see is behind your eyes. So it's what you bring to the experience that quite often changes the way you look at something. So if you bring to the, the experience to, or come to the experience with um, no judgment and asking no questions, or having no expectations, mm -hmm. you get different answers. Now that was the most profound thing I ever discovered about how nature works. Shut up and listen. Look at the way nature works and have no judgments. Forget my training, forget my understanding. What is it that is doing? Yeah. And have a look at it and ask the question why. Now, if someone says, okay, what is it I can do to really understand the way living systems work? Or what, you know, what's the thing that I need to understand? Simply. Nature does four things. Survive, adapt, grow, and reproduce. Okay. That's, the, that's the mantra of nature. So let's look at the circumstance and say, okay, what would, what would nature do if I change these circumstances? How will it survive? How does it adapt? How does it grow and then how does it reproduce? So let's look at, say, antibiotic resistance. It's a perfect example. Mm. You've got a cut on your finger. You go to the doctor. They give you an antibiotic. Yep, that needs, needs an antibiotic. To go home and take the antibiotic. Now those bacteria in that cut are being attacked mm -hmm. with the antibiotic. So what's going to happen? They're going to fight back because they're alive. They don't want to be killed. So their first trick is to survive. How do I adapt to that? that or how do I survive? How do I get over that mm. assault? Now, if they survive that assault, the next thing they'll do is adapt to that the presence of that antibiotic. Once they've worked out how to adapt, then they grow and they reproduce. Same thing works with the cancer. So if then you come back with uh, the infection comes back because they've adapted and they give you the same antibiotic, they're resistant to it now. So then you put in a secondary, second antibiotic. Now some of those bacteria will learn how to survive and grow, or adapt and grow and reproduce. So if you just ask those four questions when you're presented with a, with a life challenge, mm -hmm. and say, okay, I've got a cancer, for example. What will that cancer do to survive, adapt, grow and reproduce if I attack it with chemotherapy or radiotherapy or whatever approach you use? Now if you just ask those questions, learn to think like a cancer, you'll start to get some really profound understandings of the disease. And you can look at a treatment and say, well, this isn't going to work because nature will just do these four things. So I need to attack it a different way. So there's a whole lot of things out on the internet that say, oh, you can cure cancer with this, or there's one cause yep, of cancer, yep. one cure of cancer. Mm. If you just go back and take a step back and say, living systems yep. you know, survive, adapt, grow and reproduce, and ask those questions, you won't get it wrong very often. Oh, that's an interesting one. We just want to put that aside for a minute because we've got another uh, question coming in. So this is from Repub from Blog TV. So a question to you, Dr. Hardy, is what is your opinion on carbon offset? 
touchy subject, huh? I've got a talk I give called uh, Global Warming is Irrelevant. Mm, okay. Now, it's not. The reason I want to use that topic is I want to get everyone incensed, people who are pro and anti, because I see um, global warming and all this talk about carbon as it's a side issue. It's a symptom of a larger issue. Yep. It's our, our relationship to nature. So if all we do is just focus on carbon offset, if all we do is focus on global warming, we've lost the plot. We've got to look at a, a larger aspect of how we relate to nature. Because if you look in nature, it's a, it's a total reuse system. When something dies, something lives. That, that, those resources, that energy, those molecules, those atoms go, go back into the ground, back into the air, back into the soil and are reused by other living creatures to make new life. Now, human technology doesn't work that way. It's a very exploitative technology. It's a consumerist technology. It's not a total reuse system. So until we rethink that and go back more to a... a, a, a start to think in a way that's more um, respectful of the way nature does things. We're just going to keep on or keep on creating problems because you're asking the question in the wrong way. Well, yes and no, because, okay, I'm going to play the devil's advocate and say, what about countries, which are, we're all consumers anyway, um, who, who do require large amounts of coal to, to fire up their, their industries because their economies depend on this, okay? And this, I think, is a question that a lot of um, world leaders or governments have to grapple with, which is balancing the act of staying positive fiscally so that you can actually pay for roads, schools, health, that sort of thing. Uh, but and because you've got, you're exporting goods and you're manufacturing in such a way that you, you do have a surplus so that you can spend on these things. And by the same token, I, I understand what you're saying in that you cannot keep... You, you know, you don't want to kill the golden goose, that, that, the goose that lays the golden egg either. So where, how, how do you find the balance? Because it might mean our standards of living will have to drop. We can't be as consumerist as we are now. Well, this, this, is, this is the interesting thing. Sorry, but this is the interesting thing, going back to that no-impact man. Mm. He, he said, okay, well, I'm going to have no carbon footprint whatsoever. And yet he had a better quality of life at the end of it, which he didn't expect. So it's come back and have the fundamental question, why are we doing this? Why do we have to have growth? Why do we always have to have you know, more and more of, this, of something? Do we really need it? What's, why are we doing it? Why are we making those products? It's coming back and having even more fundamental discussion as to why we do these things. So to give an example, we're not going to... We're going to we're, our current uh, human population has just hit 7 billion. 7 billion. There is no way we're going to not hit 9. Everyone agrees with that. But if you look at even the most fundamental OECD estimates of growth, by the time we get to 9 billion, if those people have the, the, the standard living that the OECD is, is aiming to get, mm -hmm. and that's, say, by 2050, we're going to need an economy 15 times larger than the one we've got now. How is that possible on a planet with limited resources? We're starting to run out of things already. So what do you suggest? Well, first off, we've got to have a fundamental rethink on the way we do our lives. And that's got to involve everyone. Why are we here? What are we doing? What's the, what's the reason for us being here? Why do I want to do what I do? A lot of the consumerism stuff we have is because people are basically emotionally unhappy. They don't know who they are. They're, they're not self-fulfilled, so they need to have stuff to make themselves feel good. So it comes back to this whole question of self, which we started off with, this know thyself as a, as a, as a concept. So you know, I, don't, I don't have the answers, but I know we've got to start asking some really fundamental questions about who we are and where we're going.
Okay, but as an entrepreneur and somebody who's seeking to, to create a better lifestyle, and that includes, to be frank, uh, a healthier bank account, hmm. how are you going to reconcile that with what you've just said? The two, aren't, the two are quite compatible. It's, it's a question of, of what you're doing and why. So you can have the same amount of money going towards something inethical as towards something ethical. It's the, it's the rethinking about the, the use of resources, be they human, be they emotional, be they financial, or physical. It's where they're allocated. That's food for thought, isn't it, people? So if you have got any more questions, please do send them in because this is a very lively conversation we're having with uh, Dr. Stephen Hardy today. Now, just I always started from wanting to cure cancer. I all started. <laughs> there you go, on your journey to, 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 to um, supposedly cure cancer when you started, you found, uh, you know, you've unlocked at the treasure trove, basically, for yourself personally, in the sense that it, it's, it's um, filled your, uh, I guess, your intellectual appetite, hasn't it? Mm. But also, you've gone and found that there is a bigger purpose to the whole exercise. Yes, that's my question. All right, I got a question here for you. Then, you sound like you're a man who knows where you're going and is very clear about what you want to do. So, in times where you know, I, I believe no man's an island, and you'll you'll function better at, in a team environment, even though some people say they're you know, Lone Rangers, who do you surround yourself with, your personal sort of, um, I guess, support crew that will keep you buoyed up uh, emotionally or, or spiritually or mentally supported when there are days when you think it's just too much of hard work? Mm. Well, I've been blessed with, or maybe I've wisely chosen, a group of fantastic friends. They're on their personal journey as well, and they hold themselves to a high standard. They hold me to a high standard as well, and I insist they hold me to a high standard. So that's that's a wonderful thing to have. Um, the best friends are the ones if you're drowning, will hold you out an electric cattle prop. Now, y'all save you, but you'll learn this bloody lesson in the process. Um, but yes, but they they will be there when when you need them. Um, and the other thing that is uh, a great a great uh, store. The emotional reserves is nature. Go out and immerse yourself in nature as much as possible and as often as possible. And I've, we're sitting here in a house with birds all around us. We've got leather nesting boxes in the garden, and uh, I had um, several uh, rosellas, which are a lovely parrot uh, nest and fledge in the nesting boxes, and watched them. It was just a wonderful joy. And also, I worked at work the Wildlife Sanctuary for the last 25 years with endangered species and to see uh, what you can do with endangered species to help bring them back, to undo the damage that we've done. It's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do because I guess I speak for the endangered species, species to make because they can't speak for themselves. Right. So that, that is almost like a higher purpose you've got for yourself outside of what you do? No, not in a sense because it's, it, they're both connected because without an understanding of your place in nature and your relationship with nature and how you impact on nature and how nature impacts on you, mm -hmm. Um, you won't get the you know, the cancer bit because we're part of a, a total ecosystem, and we think of ourselves in our cities and our with our technology and so on as separate from nature. We're not. We're we're biological creatures. We breathe the same air. We drink the same water. We eat the same food as every other living thing on this planet. And if we don't remember that, we're going to come unstuck. 
Yep, uh, and that is a point. I, I, I totally agree with you because um, ecologically we're all connected. And even though they, they, you know, in textbooks they show you the pyramid of life where man is supposed to be at the pinnacle, really what underpins it are the fundamentals, clean air, clean water, without which the rest of, of the tiers of that particular, um, I, I guess, web of life will not survive. Well, it's an interesting thing when you talk about that, that pyramid with man at the top because that's a long diagram mm. because it's actually a circle. And... Yes, you know, we end up with, with the food in our bodies and, and, and so on. But when we die, all the molecules that make us up go back into the soil and, and you know, we get eaten by worms or burnt, but we get cremated and that the minerals go back into the soil or back into the environment to be reused and recycled by other creatures. So we're just taking our turn. It's a cycle of life and it's just our turn. So do you think it's just um, intellectual arrogance? That, that Absolutely. Humans... So it's a very specious attitude. You know, we, we are the we are the chosen. We are the we are the you know, the ultimate power. Well, yeah, right. We're not. Yeah, <laughs> we're not. Yeah, yeah. So so it it is says it's, it's basically a mosaic and a patchwork, and we're just a part of the jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Okay, that's great. So in the last kind of you know six minutes, you've got six minutes. I want to ask you. Okay, you, you look at you look like a man who's in vibrantly rude, good health. And so, what is it that you do in terms of your uh, rituals? I call them success rituals. But that I ask my guests, what is it that you do to keep you in tip-top condition so that you have the energy uh, to burn through when you need to complete a project and it's not a nine-to-five because, as you know, when you work for yourself, it's, you know, the clock starts and you're on. Mm. Well, again, connect with nature as often as possible. Mm. Set aside me time. What is me time to you? Not nature. Being, being still... Uh, observing nature, asking the question, you know, why, is, why is it doing that way, or just enjoying the fact that nature does it that way. Music, music is a huge um, powerhouse for me, and quality friends and quality time. Getting out and talking to people and hearing about their stories, about what they're doing with their lives to make the world a better place. And then them asking you, well, okay, what have you done today to make, make the world a better place? And, and having an answer, having an answer that you mean something. Okay, so all of that becomes part and parcel of your... Oh, and of course, eating well and eating healthy yeah. and looking after the body. And exercising. And exercising, yes. Okay. And Use it or lose it. That's a good one, use it or lose it. Uh, and so all of that form part, parts of or integrated into your life that allow you, the, I guess, the emotional and the physical energy to do what you want to do. Mm. So segues nicely into the last question. So when all is said and done, what's your legacy? I want to make a difference. I want to make people think. I want to get what's in my head and out of the head of others so that other people can understand the way living systems work. Because if they've got that information, knowledge is power, they can make lifestyle choices, they can make decisions. So to make the world a little, a little richer, a little better, a little kinder place than it was when I, when I arrived. Okay, and you're doing that via your website called? Well, I have a website with, uh, that we've set up with Professor Akulos, a colleague of mine, called Promoting Good Health. It's www.promotinggoodhealth.com, and through that we're educating people about, um, about the way living systems work, making science understandable to the layman so they can make lifestyle choices. And that involves lectures and books and, and videos and DVDs that we're working on, and a whole host of them in the pipeline. Okay, so when they make um, 
better lifestyle choices? Do you believe that they have better quality outcomes in every facet, not just their health, but their mental health, their spiritual health, uh, and also in their bank accounts? Hmm. Well, there's, there's an interesting um, thing that happens when, when I have people say around for dinner and they know food I do. All of a sudden, they say, well, this, this has got taste, this has got flavor. And one of the things that happens is they tend to eat smaller serves because if you start to eat you know, better quality food or better organic food and so on, it's got taste, it's got flavor. And they um, eat smaller serves so they don't put on as much weight, they're healthier, there's all these consequences. They've got the energy to get out there and chase their life's passion and do what they want to do. And the flow-on effect is a better bank as well. Oh yes, because they're not spending so much money on um, medication, really, or going to see the doctor. It's one of the things I believe in. Anyway, mm. that's a, it, you do you do get it's it's a knock-on effect, but it's also an integrated effect. So, um, really, at the end of the day, take-home message from you is for our viewers out there. Well, the, the those four things: grow, uh, um, survive, adapt, grow, and reproduce. Get your head around that. And apply that to circumstances that you, that you come across when you when you're faced with a challenge or when you're faced with the way living systems work. If you can get those ones sorted out, then um, you get get it right most time. How was that for profound, folks? So if you want some more information, so it's uh, promoting good health www.promotinggoodhealth.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's and a new website too coming up very shortly www.drstephenhardy.com. That's D-R-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-R-D-Y.com, and that's about some of the speaking and so on. Okay, so if you like what you saw and you want some more of um, Stephen Hardy, you can get him sort of virtually uh, by going to those two websites. So what can I say? But thank you, Dr. Stephen Hardy, for a very insightful and thought-provoking hour that we've just had on your money and your mindset. I'm Roa Tan, your host, and I hope you have a good week, people. Uh, live well, enjoy life, and uh, stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Today's podcast is brought to you by Obesity